Are you on the look for that hard-to-find tackle, rods, and reels? Then you have to check out Lake Pro Tackle. Their online store has some of the hardest-to-find baits, and they work with amazing companies to bring you the equipment you need to have success on the water. Check them out at Instagram and Facebook, at Lake Pro Tackle. They post constant updates when they have new baits come in and how you can get them on the website as soon as they get posted. Friends of the podcast will receive 15% off their orders with code SCALES at checkout. Again, use code SCALES, all cap locks, at lakeprotackle.com. Thank you, guys. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of your favorite swim bait podcast, Scales and Tails, episode 103. Today, I'm joined by a by a man in Georgia, and to build up some of the suspense here, a lot of guys always, you know, people are always like, "Oh, I want to hear, I want to hear more than more than bass." You know, I want to hear from musky guys or Murray cod guys or the the big one in the U.S. being like from the striper guys. And I think I have a guy on tonight who. Who you guys can listen to and be like, okay, yeah, he definitely like I'm I'm getting some knowledge from this conversation because I do I like you scroll through your profile, it's like damn, yeah, this this guy knows knows what he's doing a little bit. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude. But so tonight I am or this morning, whenever you're listening to this, right now, currently, I'm joined by Mr. Alex Green, who is a resident down there in Georgia, which I had to kind of triple check. I thought he was up from like Maryland, Virginia area before we started recording. He's like, no, I'm from Georgia. I'm like, I, I would have never fucking guessed that. dude. <laughs> hey, that means I'm doing a good job hiding the spots on the Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're like, you're like kind of co-intermingled with all those uh dmv guys where dude, i i really just thought that you were up in i thought you were up in maryland honestly like i could have put a lot of money on you being a maryland resident or in that like dmv area between maryland uh dc and in virginia like that was that was what i just figured because you didn't have it in your bio so i'm like oh he's definitely from around that area no no i like it up there though those snakeheads will get you a little bit horny dude i I've been up there a bunch and I have not gotten to like fish. So I went up there in 2019 and Phil and I fished a little bit in Virginia by Richmond, but like going up there to like fish with Vic and those guys for like snakehead or striper or something, dude, I think if I did that, I'd be spoiled. I probably wouldn't come back home. And um, I know listening to, I think it was Alec, Alec Wicker's episode, but you need, you might need to make a pass down here for some both in. Sounds like dude. you're in first. Yeah, dude, bowfin are fucking. That's like the mascot for the podcast. I haven't talked about him in a long time, but dude, fishing for bowfin. Oh my! And I think that's why if I caught a snakehead on a frog or caught multiple snakehead on a frog, I'd be fucked. I'd be like, shit, I'm not going back to fish for bowfin. They're just they're just poor southern snakehead. That's all they are. Yeah. Don't and, eat good. And on top of that, like like guys who eat them and stuff, they're like, oh, that you know they they're good or whatever it may be. I'm like. Man, I've never eaten a bowfin before, but I'd be down to trying a snakehead if everybody else is eating them. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, yeah, dude. So we'll kind of we'll leave the we'll leave the bowfin and, and snakehead talk down for now. We'll kind of focus on the main thing here, which you know it, it'll probably be definitely striper orientated because that's like that seems like something that you do quite a bit and have a lot of knowledge in, as well as that's where a lot of my questions are going to stem from because I haven't really. You know, other than Vic, I haven't really talked to guys who who go out and target striper and who are 
like super successful with catching big striper and stuff. So that'll probably be the focus of tonight's show, which like I said before, a lot of guys are super interested in like, you know, those guys in Tennessee, Alabama and in those states that have striper, maybe they don't get super big, but they, they're not really too sure on how to target them type thing like that. I think it'll be a super good episode for those guys too. Oh, for sure. For sure. Hell yeah, man. So I guess kind of introduce yourself, say it, tell us who you are, what you do, and then uh, kind of how you got into fishing and, and kind of where you are today. And then we'll kind of deep dive into how you got into swim baits and all that stuff after you lay that storyline for us. So uh, Alex Green, hello, y'all. Um, pretty, pretty standard, like fishing Genesis story, I guess. Um, yeah, I didn't have a dad or you know grandpa that was like hyper into it like tournament fishing or or you know yeah. anything of that nature but they they definitely enjoyed fishing you know mostly trout fishing um and especially my grandpa um he just made it a priority to take me places where i was going to catch a million fish you know trout ponds and stuff like that and he didn't know it, but he really ruined me one day. Um, we're standing at the edge of this trout pond, and he throws, like, a whole handful of corn in. And I just see, like, 57 trout flashing by, eating these things as they drop. And I think that's where the whole uh, visual kind of more surface-oriented river fishing thing came from. Like, there's nothing that really gets me hornier than watching a big fish come up and eat something. You know, so it, it kind of stemmed from that. And then, you know, my grandparents lived in Florida um, on the Indian River growing up. So I'd go down there for, you know, three, four, five weeks every summer, all over winter break, you know, spring break, Thanksgiving. And, you know, they had uh, at their condo complex, they had a four dock set that went about 100 yards out into the channel. And, um, kind of one of those things we'll we'll go buy alex a, a big bucket of shrimp and just let him get lost for the day and yeah hopefully he's bringing us some redfish or flounder free seafood so i'm sure it was a good cost benefit for them and uh yeah and then i really like lost track of fishing like towards the end of high school and college i had some uh some substance issues for a few years and uh, really got back into it when I was 23 and it just kind of became the addiction that replaced the addiction, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, that's, I guess, kind of why I go as crazy as I go with it. So I definitely chase these things with a very uh, addictive kind of, you know, everything goes just four sheets to the wind. Let's get it kind of attitude. So, but other than that, um, I'm, I'm in construction management. Uh, we build like warehouses, stuff like that. So definitely pretty, pretty fun, pretty fun line of work. And it allows me kind of the freedom to run around and chase these fish, you know, all over the South. Hell yeah, dude. It's, it's funny that you said, you know, I would say, I'd say probably a quarter, if not half a guy's you know, in the, in the swim bait world, it seems like, and, and even just in fishing in general had kind of, you know, they, they probably hit like that 18 to 22 or just somewhere in there. And they kind of hit a rough patch in their life. And it always seems like they bounce back into fishing to kind of, kind of combat, combat that thing. I mean, I've had a lot of guys on who talk about that. And like I said, dude, it, I bet you it's probably half of the guys who kind of open up about their story, whether it's on or off the air and stuff like that. It always seems to be Maybe not necessarily common practice isn't the right word, but it, it's kind of like something that a lot of guys do. 
Yeah, and I'm glad guys in like the community have been really open about that. Um, it's kind of like one of the more mentally healthy but unhealthy groups of guys I've I've been around. So, you know, it's it's just been good. You know, that common story with a lot of guys been able to compare experiences and you know have some support on some tough days too. So yeah, yeah, dude, for sure. And, and I mean, yeah, it, it's always cool to hear. You know, when you think you're the only person ever that has ever or is going through something and, and you know, you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, well, you know, my, my buddy who's in the community XYZ went through that too. Like maybe you could talk to him and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not the only person on planet earth to, who has had, you know, a rough experience, a rough patch in my life or, you know, just whatever it may be. There's always, it always seems like there's at least a couple people there and then you kind of induct them into your circle because you all kind of know what it was like to to hit that rough patch or whatever it may be. Exactly. Exactly. But, yeah. you know, when I, when I got out of that rough patch, um, I was, you know, I did a lot of trout fishing growing up and that was really what I focused on was trout fishing when I got out of it or I uh, got back into it. And, you know, it's kind of a very similar story to swim baits and like conventional fishing because you know you'd go out there and you know you're not throwing a 10 inch glide bait but like oh oh shit dude you, you got a six inch jerk bait on like what what the hell is gonna eat that in here yeah no i'm like well what do you think a 30 inch brown got big eating man mm -hmm. and right you didn't get that way eating bugs mm -hmm. so um you know did that for probably like three or four years like chasing that at a really high level and you know really trying to find like you know two footer type browns and you know then i found religion because i was uh reeling in a little rainbow trout that ate a 110 we were in a river you know mm -hmm. one straight away and there was a fish probably you know at the time he looked like he was a 60 pound freshwater world record and in hindsight he was probably like you know a little 20, 20 pound type fish and he just come up off the bottom and took my jerk bait and my trout away from me and uh i just thought why am i fishing for a trout i want to fish for those mm -hmm. yeah and that's actually a pretty common story you know down here with a lot of the striper guys like i was reeling in a trout the, the striper came up and ate it and i never fished for trout again it's a pretty pretty common story down here and um then it was pretty much all no holds barred from there. Kind of went way down the rabbit hole with him. I guess that was like 2016, 2017. Oh wow! And caught my first my first ones on like decent conventional stuff. You know, probably not like 2017, 2018 window. And I was like getting more confident with the big, you know, the big stuff. I really only picked that up, you know, end of probably like 2017 2016 somewhere in there and really got it pretty well figured out by like 2020 and you know just kind of been rolling with it ever since your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by leviathan rods leviathan rods is a texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end made in the usa rod blanks Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. 
So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan rods. Hell yeah, dude. Do you remember that first striper, like the first striper you caught on conventional? Like how crazy was that for you? Uh, it was wild. It was wild. I was doing a bunch of research and, uh, you know, found a, found like a summer fishery. We call them thermal fisheries, right? Cause they run up out of the lakes and chase cold water. So I'm sitting there, you know, my little crappy little Pelican 12 kayak and throwing a jerk bait. I'm like, Oh crap. I finally got one. It's probably like seven or eight pounds. And you know, trout don't really do anything wild when you pull them in the kayak and I realized in about uh, half a second, I made a very big mistake pulling that fish into the kayak with me. Hmm. <laughs> it starts going ape shit, and before I know it, I've got a RC stick latched into my calf with two hooks still hooked to this thing, and some old man came around the river and came around the corner in a john boat and helped me out. But it was a very memorable experience. Put it Damn, that way. Dude. That, that sounds wicked as hell. <laughs> it was. It was. I still wear the scar proudly. Dang, dude. And then after that, was it just kind of like, oh my gosh, I need to catch more of these things? Yes. Yes. I was shamelessly addicted from that point on. I mean, they dominate my fishing really from like March 1st to end of October. And then, you know, fill in other stuff like, you know, trout, muskies, shoal bass you know, the other few months, but the, they're, they're definitely my, my preferred species and what I spend most of my time on. Yeah. And so did you kind of stumble into, like, I got to assume that there is, you know, striper fishing pages, much like there's conventional bass fishing pages. Was that something that you ever got into? And did that kind of, was that the entry for swim baits as you saw somebody posting up on a big glide bait or kind of what did that set up like? No, um, there are groups for the striper guys, but they're all live bait. Um, even still, like 95% of the fishing for, for striper in the south is all live bait. And I, you, know, you can ask Tyler, too, you know, if you talk to him one day. Like, you didn't see anyone put up a striper on a glide bait until, like, 2021, 22. Like, people didn't really understand it down here and we had that bite all to ourselves for like two years and it was it was wild but um really there wasn't there wasn't a community of guys chasing them on artificial down here the closest thing was a lot of the fly groups kind of had a dedicated dedicated you know set of guys that really chased them like with big articulated streamers sink tips you know we're doing it on the fly that was that was the closest we had to you know, a group of guys that, that you could access online that, that chased them with artificial. Damn. That's like, that's crazy. I felt, I would have thought that, well, I guess I don't really know how stripers work, but I would have figured that guys, you know, a bass fisherman would have caught one on an artificial and been like, Oh my gosh, this is such a cool fish. And then turn around and, and continue with, with bass methods. But I guess there's probably not much that outfishes a live shiner or, or whatever the hell they use for, for live bait down there. I mean, a lot of times the bass guys down here will just slit their guts and throw them out of the bank. They don't even eat them? No, I mean, some guys do, but a lot of guys just absolutely hate them. Like the kind of the mother lake that I fish, you know, for my home water is West Point. 
And there's been kind of a warfare back and forth between the bass guys. They feel like the striper have, you know, decimated their bass populations. And the striper guys were like, hey, will you stop killing our stripers and yeah. get mad at the Corps of Engineers for dropping the lake eight feet the first week of April every year? Mm -hmm. I think that has something more to do with it, but please don't kill my stripers. Dang, dude, that's that's crazy that there's that much of a beef. I mean... You know, because a lot of swim bait guys, they'll catch one, you know, quote unquote on accident as like a bycatch and they post about it. And, you know, I mean, more times than not, they're, they're shit grinning when they're in that picture. Cause it's like, oh my gosh, this is such a bigger fish than a bass. Like I'm not angry. I caught it. Whereas it sounds like the conventional guys are like, oh, you know, this is a shit fish, you know, it's eating, eating our bait fit or just whatever it may be. That's kind of crazy to hear about. Yeah. And we're also a lot like more secretive as a, as a group of fishermen. Um, a lot of these places we fish are like really small and you know, you, we, we, we try to keep a lot of attention off of it. Like mm -hmm. I've got 31 over 20 this year and 11 over 30 and I've put up two fish and we, we just don't, we just don't post about it as much. Mm -hmm. It's a very secretive kind of group because especially the, the brand that, you know, myself and my group of friends does is, you know, rivers exclusively and those, those fish real small and you get, you know, five or six boats out there on some of these spots and it's, it's just a nightmare to fish. So we do tend to keep it a little bit quieter nowadays. Yeah. Is there like a, a core group of you guys, like in a group chat that you're like, Oh shit, like look at the one I caught today. Or is it even, is it even quiet behind the closed doors with your, with your quote unquote friends who they're your friends, but it's probably because they're chasing the same fish as you. Not that they're like homies type thing. Uh, no, like our core group of guys is like totally open with each other. Um, a hundred percent because we've all really kind of proven that we'll keep the important stuff close to the vest. Um, you got like Tyler, Dan Dawkins, um, Connor Lee, Matt Wilson, Johnny Mills. And, you know, between that's really our core group of guys. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're a hundred percent open with each other because we're, we're watching like five or six different river systems at a time, really trying to time up like flow rates, temperatures, and, and we can't really, none of us can keep an eye on all of them. And we're yeah. all pretty well spaced out around the South. So, you know, like this past weekend, Tyler and I've been watching the, the system that we went to for gosh, like three years. We knew it was fabulous when it was right but it was the first time you know they've they've generated consistent water out of that place and almost three years and it finally lined up this weekend so you know he drove down from nashville i drove over from atlanta and you know just like assembled on this random river in the middle of nowhere kind of thing that that's why we're as open with each other as we are yeah because it's not like you guys are all in one area fishing the same river like it's a core group of you guys and you're spread out and, and everybody's kind of, everybody's doing their own little bit of homework by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. We all bring like different things to the table, you know, in terms of that, like, you know, Connor's more of the like research technician kind of guy. I'm the dude that, you know, tinkers with all the baits and, mm -hmm. you know, figures out, you know, all that kind of aspect. Johnny's just the fishiest dude I think I've ever met. And he picks up, you know, all the stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, like kind of seeing what a fish is doing. He'll make those really good observations about, 
you know, like body language and how they're acting better than we can. Yeah. And Tyler's just a dude. He's now, so in your guys' group, is it all you guys are just chasing after those, that trophy class of striper? Or is it all you guys are chasing after that trophy class of striper with swim baits and stuff? Or, or big conventional stuff, too? Uh, it's almost entirely swim baits. Oh, really? Damn. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler will have to do some live bait fishing with clients. You know, I mean, definitely some, a lot of the swim bait guides you'll talk to, you know, people come and want to do these things and you know by the time you get four hours into the day and they haven't seen a fish and can't make the cast like they're they're kind of like all right can you please put me on a fish so he has to fish a little bit with live bait and every once in a while like certain situations we'll just decide to go waylay them but you know those fish don't really mean a whole lot to us It's, it's pretty much all swim baits Damn, dude, that's that sounds sick as hell. And I mean, you guys aren't catching like, I mean, I'm sure you're catching smaller striper too. But you said how many did you have over twenty this year? Thirty, you said. Yeah, I've got thirty-one over twenty since March fifteenth. That's is March fifteenth like the day season opens? Uh, not really. That's like they they just usually get into the rivers for the first time like mid March around here. So that's just kind of like. I always set goals every season that I try to work against in terms of like numbers and sides and like number of river systems that we yeah. get a certain size class out of. So when I set my goals up, uh, that March 15th is, is where I draw the line. It's like, all right, season starts now. It's not official. It's just in my head. Right. So I guess before we get super into it, I'm going to, I'm going to pull like a Joe Rogan esque thing. And I'm going to ask you to try to explain like what these stripers are doing around the time you're going out there, like in March, are they pushing up in these rivers out of the lakes to, to spawn? Are they chasing, you know, like a shad spawn or what are they doing? How, how are you so successful with targeting them in the river at that time? Uh, March is also driven. Pre-spawn, spawn. Um, they'll usually start like staging up and say like late February, kind of on the top end points of a lot of these lakes. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, you know, depending on, moon and you know what's happening with the rain they'll, they'll start making runs up the river you know and not all the fish in the system do it at the same time yeah and you'll have fish you know cycling in and out of the river basically from like march 15th to like the end of may and then they disappear for two or three weeks and go back down the lake kind of peel up i guess and then as the lakes heat up down here we have a lot of tailwaters um, you know, that are pushing, you know, 50, 60 degree water into these lakes. And mm-hmm. down here in the south, you know, beginning of June is about when our water temps usually start hitting like 75, 76, you know, push up towards 80. And they just, they can't handle that since they're cold water fish. Yeah. So they go chasing, you know, the cold water and they then get stuck, you know, until the end of the season. So it's all self trip self-preservation for them they usually they usually bamboos around mid-september for another like two to three weeks and then as the lakes start turning over and the shad and skipjack all run up out of the lakes get away from the poop of water and they'll make one final kind of two-week appearance somewhere at the beginning of october you know chasing those and then it's and it's on to other things until next march Damn. Okay, so 
I guess the next question is, so these, the places that you're chasing these striper up to, how does a striper spawn? Is it like a bass where the male fans the bed and then the female comes up? Or is it more like um, like a, a, a trout, like a salmon where, you know, the, the female sits there, spawns, male, you know, does his stuff, and then the eggs are just kind of there by themselves? Is that how that works? Um, actually, they're, they're totally different than either. They, they only spawn successfully in a couple of systems down here. Cause oh, okay. I've seen different different numbers on it but basically their eggs have you know they're saltwater fish yeah so their eggs have to be suspended in current for 36 ish kind of hours and so what they do is they run as far as they can up the rivers and you'll get you know your one big female and you'll have five or six males around her kind of like beating her up until she just gets tired of it and lets go of the eggs and that's when they do their bill clinton thing (laughs) and uh yeah, they just they just float on down the river, and in a normal situation, they float out to the ocean, get carried away by the tides, hatch, start eating plankton, and live their happy lives. And unfortunately, most of ours just kind of settle to the bottom and are no more. So it's entirely stocking supported. Huh, dude, I would have you could have given me five guesses, and I would have never guessed that that's how that situation plays out. Well, they're just weird, man. There are saltwater fish trapped here, so. Uh, most people are surprised by that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. You know, people, people always talk about how, how fish are assholes and how they leave their spawn and stuff. Dude, Striper, just leave them out in the middle of the ocean. Like that's some hardcore shit. See you, bud. Yeah, exactly. See ya. Hopefully, hopefully you make it back in shore, you know, when you're, you know, big enough to spawn type thing. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, they're, they're wild fish, man. They're wild. Yeah, so are are they aggressive when that female is getting pushed up to spawn, or you know, is her and that pack of males kind of focused on on uh, reproducing, whether it's successful or not? And then after that, they kind of like, oh shit, we're tired from that. Like, we need to kind of stock up and feed again. Um, you can catch them really, really good. They're hyper aggressive up until mm. like twelve hours before they spawn. Okay. Mm then you're not going to catch, you know, that particular fish until he comes back up the river in a few weeks. Huh. This is, this is very interesting. This is not how I thought they, they work. I've never heard of a fish working like that. So that, uh, it's interesting. So dude, they literally just free float down, down the river. Like, like when you cast off a bobber type thing out to the middle of the lake or wherever it go or ocean, just wherever they are. Exactly. Huh. (laughs) <laughs> that's crazy exactly and are there anything that like because you know with uh like around here you know there's leeches and, and obviously everything else suckers and stuff will eat those eggs is there like a common thing behind behind striper that will eat them like those suckers or carp or anything like that or is it really just they're unsuccessful because they're not in the salt water uh it's just they're they're unsuccessful because their eggs don't have the time you know, they're not in salt water. There's one system um, here. The fish that come up out of Lake Weiss, they run up into a river system, uh, the Etowah and the Ustanala. And that river is actually free. And there's actually another lake out in Texas, Lake Texoma, that this happens in as well, where they've got, you know, I think like 150 miles of river without dams. 
And the populations in Weiss and Texoma are completely self-sustaining. There's no, no stocking required. And since they've got that length of river, the eggs stay floating and, and they manage to hatch. So it's just a, just a time thing. Interesting. Learn it, dude. Learning a lot, and we're only we're only twenty minutes into this conversation, and we haven't even we haven't even started talking about the fishing aspect side of things. So that's kind of what we'll dive in now. So, so they push up around that March fifteenth. You know, we'll just say we'll say it kind of sets up like it did this year. You know, whatever that may be. You don't really need to go into depth if it's a kind of a long winded explanation. But so are you going out there and fishing glide baits or crank downs or wake baits? Kind of what, what's the go-to Are big glide baits usually the go-to all season. Um, I've had better success with straight line type baits, you know, along the lines of a wake or a crank down. Um, as I've gotten better with them the last couple of years, I think they, they're so fat that they have a hard time chasing glides through the corners in the spring. So you, the, the glide is definitely like the dominant bait for them Mm -hmm. all, all year. Like if you told me I had to fish one bait all summer, I would not be upset if I just had a glide. Okay. But you know, you would fish them, you fish them differently in the spring, like a lot quieter, um, yeah, kind of less dippy, but I've gotten really into, really into the crankdowns this year and, and had a lot of success on that this spring. Yeah. And I guess the next kind of puzzle or next piece of this puzzle that I'm trying to unlock in my brain here is, are these like heavily currented rivers and streams and stuff that you guys are fishing and that these fish are pushing up in? The majority of them. Yeah. Uh, being to like tailwaters they'll they could be you know very slow very low rivers and then they could just flip the dam on and it comes up like eight feet and is blasting you down the river at like six miles an hour it it's just whatever the corps of engineers wants <laughs> right yeah what they, what they what kind of quota they need to fill or whatever so it's really so this march 15th it can be you know, eight foot lower and, and way slower of a current than next year's or the year before type thing. It just depends on what that day they, they're radioed in and say if they need to open the dam type deal. Correct. Yeah. Like a wet year is going to be a lot higher and it's going to mm-hmm. be a lot harder fishing too. In the, in the spring, I like it when it's low personally. Yeah. So do you, <clears throat> excuse me, is there like, do you have standard retrieves for, you know, say that March 15th, you know, that day rolls around and the water's super low, do you retrieve a bait differently or fish it different than, than like when the water is, you know, just rolling? Like, do you have to, you know, add weight, add bigger hooks and stuff when the water's ripping to get your bait down in that strike zone or kind of do, do these stripe or just get so pissed off that they'll come up off bottom, however deep it is and hit a bait that's only a foot under the water? Uh, they, they will definitely come all the way up off the bottom. And, and eat it on the top. Like they use the surface a lot to make things change direction. But mm-hmm. um, kind of going back to one of the questions we were talking about earlier when we were setting this up, um, you're saying like what conventional techniques have you really taken to like swim baiting for these? Yeah. And when it gets high, you, I, I grew up fishing jerk baits a ton. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time when it's high, we, we treat them like a jerk bait, like just one shot, let it sit 
two, three, four seconds, one other, you know, big shot, let it sit, just kind of drift down the bank that, that whole, you know, Southern trout eaters kind of like rate of stall conversation. But in the, you know, in the spring when it's lower, it's your more traditional kind of bass style retrieves, more of your slow kind of wandering traditional glad bait deal. Hmm. So when you guys are casting, are you, you have spot locker and anchor down and, and picking apart like uh, holes and runs and stuff in the river and throughout the section, or is it more of your floating back with the current, like drop back fishing these glide baits? Mostly just floating, floating with the current and, and, and then the bank. So yeah. you guys are in, you know, essentially in the middle of the river and you guys are casting to the bank and bringing them back to the boat. Generally speaking. Yeah. Huh? Dude, so I, I've got this all backwards, so this is kind of like the complete 180 of what I was expecting. I was expecting you guys to, you know, pull up above a run, put the anchor down, you know, whether, whether it be drop back fishing, like taking a crank down, picking the motor, picking the uh, anchor up and floating back through the run, or casting the points, because I feel like that's something I, I always see a lot, especially when guys are fishing like big dams and stuff, they, they put the poles down or do whatever, and they pick apart a spot and then they run downstream a little bit and do the same thing. Like that's what you see the elites and everybody do. So that's kind of, I guess the picture I had in my head, because this is so, this is completely so foreign to me. I have no idea really like what you've told me is dude, all I fucking know because they're really, I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot out there on striper and how to successfully fish for them. Like in the areas you're talking about. Yeah, I mean you're you're right. There's there's not a whole lot of information out there about it. And that's kind of like you have to unlearn a whole lot, I guess, from traditional fishing with chasing these things. Like they they're they're just gonna do it when they're gonna do it. And they they will come up and get it when they're hungry. And it's like kind of one of the most frustrating things about them. It, you know, you can you can pretty much, as long as you're willing to put down the swim bait rod, you can pretty much always piss off a large mouth into eating. But, like, stripers, you could do everything right, know exactly where they are, exactly what they want to do, and, and they can just decide to not eat that day. And, and they do. And it's, so a lot of the game is covering water and finding, you know, those, that one group of aggressive fish. And, you know, once you find them, you're, it, we don't do it with anchors, but you can literally fire the motor up, run past them, you know, five, six, seven times, and sometimes catch five, six, seven fish out of them. Damn, dude. <laughs> they're kind of stupid in a way. They're like the most frustratingly stupid, smart fish you'll, you'll fish for, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of the picture, kind of the picture that I'm getting painted here. <laughs> like, when they get stupid, they would eat a Coke can with a treble hook on it. Yeah, yeah. That damn, dude. So... You guys are out there when, when the water is low or when the water's high, you know, obviously you said you're fishing current. How do you play these fish? So I guess before, well, okay, we'll, we'll put that in the backseat. I'll write that back down so we can talk about it. I, we kind of need to talk about how these fish come up and eat and stuff. So I guess what's like, what's the average depth? Say the water is at an average, it's either like at an average or the depth you like it. You know, it's not too high, not too low what's how far or how deep are these sections that you're fishing i'd say on average most of what we fish you can see the bottom oh wow really yeah yeah like 
there's definitely like they're hole oriented in these rivers. So like a lot of times, you know, they'll be in the deep hole that's like 10, 15 feet. But on average, we're fishing three to five foot of water, if that. Are you, dude, this is, I'm mind blown. I thought you were going to say, you know, 15 to 20 foot holes. Like when I think of a river, I think of a river, like a fast moving river. I think huge runs and you, that's why I asked if crank downs were so, were like a thing because I feel like that was one bait that you could get down there right now in front of a fish if you had to. Yeah, like, so you're from Michigan. Like, it would basically be like we're catching these things in the Aussable. Oh, dude, that, that was like up, you know, the big manistee? I, I've heard of it. I've never been there or known about it. I know oh. that's the world record. Previous yeah, world yeah so so I lived like 10 minutes from there, from Tippy Dam and the Big Man of Seats. So that's where I grew up. You just said the Asable, and that made me stop for a second. I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot that you were kind of a fly guy, so you probably know you probably know all those rivers up here. <laughs> I've, I've wanted to go to a lot of them for a long time. I'm a little bit little bit jelly, man. I'd love to go fish the Manistee. Dude, fucking let me. Dude, my, so I kind of offset here. My uncle actually got steelhead fishing like big and well known in Michigan. Like he helped introduce them to the state of Michigan and stuff. Like you can go on, you can go on YouTube right now and type in Amel Dean Michigan out of doors, and there's videos of him fishing with the governor in like the '80s. And he he got super big into the river trout fishing, and he's actually in the Freshwater Hall of Fame. He invented the drop back fishing method. He's got a book out. Dude, he he like, and that's my whole family is into trout. I'm the only guy who who isn't into trout. So I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. <laughs> No way. That, that is sick. I do. I have thought about this fishery so many times over so many years. Like that, that is cool that you have had the opportunity to not just fish those, but you know, fish those with people that have a passion for them. That's rad. Yeah, dude. It was, uh, so my high school is actually the, the little village town that the tippy dam is in. So, I mean, we take school field trips down there all the time. There'd be times that uh, they actually shut down the dam so there's like no water coming out so you can do a river cleanup like dude it's it's fucking it's pretty cool up there for is like as famous as it is you know you run across you run across people who know it but it seems like it it's just so fucking famous like everybody if if you talk to somebody they know where like a sable is they know where the big manistee and the little manistee is it's just kind of like that staple for for whatever reason fucking everybody knows where those rivers are up there world famous i mean you catch a 43 pound brown out of something people are gonna find out <laughs> yeah dude fucking 19 20 pound rainbows and shit or or you know handfuls of 30 pound uh co or not, yeah coho and and kings and stuff out of there every year dude it it gets it's wicked and it gets the thing now is that place gets fished hard and so i guess you kind of know what i mean when i talk about fishing a river and stuff because that's what I, that's what i think is it's like the big manatees that's how that's how these places set up and i had a guy on from texas uh the other day and we were talking i'm like dude it's crazy what you call a river in texas compared to what i call them up here i'm like the river down there that's more like a stream or a good sized creek whereas up here like a river is kind of like the mississippi or or something pretty damn big like that that's really moving some water yeah we're we're fishing trout streams, you know, mostly until they turn the water on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. So that was, that's kind of a cool little, uh, unplanned thing there. But anyway, back to, uh, back to the striper at hand here. So you're fishing these super shallow areas. And so, I mean, do you, you kind of said that you can go past them and see them and stuff. Is there points at time where you see dark patches 
by the bank and you just cast up to him and, and you watch this ominous shadow following your 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 glide bait and it just eats it right at the boat type deal oh yeah dude. it's like it's exactly like watching a five pound bass come out of a log jam it's just a 40 pound striper Jeez, that's fucking dude, that's crazy as hell that's fucking that's wicked uh, do these do when when they push up to spawn and stuff do they set up it just anywhere like in in slack water where there's back current or eddies or anything or are they setting up in the middle of the river or just wherever the hell they're ready to start pushing them out is where they where they lay up where they end up uh, a little bit of both like we get a lot of real like broken kind of like ledge shoal structures here so they'll sit in those little pockets like while they're staging mm-hmm. and then they move up into the shoals when they're about ready to do the deed. So you'll see them in the shoals for, you know, a day or two. And that's kind of when, you know, all right, we, we probably shouldn't come tomorrow because, because they're spawning tonight. Mm-hmm. But the majority of it's, you know, fishing pockets, current breaks, rips, you know, stuff like that, where, you, where you've got, you know, your soft water and, you know, typical kind of river stuff. Yeah. Dude, I think it's kind of cool that you can project the, the spawn outcome like that. And then also, you can catch those fish and it's not like you're hurting the future generations you know like the big controversy behind green fish in in smallmouth and stuff of oh you know bed fishing is is terrible or bed fishing is fine type deal like that it's almost like you know just let them do their thing for that night you know give it a day's rest and then you can go out there the next day and you can catch those fish and not worry about you know tanking the population for the future years of these big 20 30 pound fish which i think is you know, it's it's kind of cool that there's not it's not a fragile thing like that. I guess it is. It is. Um, I mean, really, all the striper guys like pre-spawn and spawn is is when we're we're the happiest because I mean they'll add you know twenty twenty five percent of their body weight like more though they get blimped up like way more than a large mouth. And so if you're if you're gonna get a fifty. You know, you you better probably try to get it in pre-spawn or spawn. And we actually, you know, when we talk about fish here, and there's actually like a distinction. Like, did you get that in the spawn or or no? Mm-hmm. Like, if you get a a forty pounder after the spawn, is a way different fish than a forty pounder, you know, during the spawn, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So we we get amped during spawn time. I think a lot of striper guys get divorced in March and April. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I, I believe that. So what we'll kind of go into the well, before we get into the baits, I'll circle back to that question I had a couple minutes ago about kind of just how these fish work and stuff. So you get one to eat, you know, it eat right it eats right at the boat or eats right at the bank. What's it like fighting these fish? I mean, are you guys have your you guys have your drags turned down a lot? Are you chasing these fish with the boat or kind of how do you how do you land one of these 20, 30 pound fish in a current system? um it the beginning of it is like we we kind of draw a comparison to to grouper fishing you know like that it's kind of won or lost in the first 10 yards like if that fish gets his head around on you and starts going back to the wood you're you're gonna have a bad day right yeah so you really like we we do not fish leaders and we're fishing tyler fishes leaders some but like Johnny and Johnny and I don't, and we're fishing straight 80 pound braid, direct tide, ST 66s. I don't think I've unlocked 
unlock the drag on my Tranks and since I've owned them, like very Cesar <laughs> Chavez, like I take my pliers and lock it down as far yeah. as I can. And that's really why I like Shimano, you know, Shimano products a lot is I feel like they have the best drag, but you know, you, you just give them the beans from the moment they eat to the moment you put the bug on their lip. Yeah. And how, so <clears throat> I'm the type of guy where, you know, if, if a large mouth or small mouth eats my bait, dude, I'm not letting them things eat for free. I absolute jack the hook set. I don't care if it's a wake bait. I don't care if it's a glide bait. I don't care if I'm fishing a drop shot. You know, I, I make it known that they just fucked up and ate something with hooks on attached <laughs> to my line. Is, uh, I guess, is, is that kind of the same with you? Or do you, uh, like, do they have bony mouths? Can you get away with sweeping into a hook set? Or do you just yam them like a frog? Uh, we, we definitely yam the hell out of them. Hell yeah. Like, I don't, That's the answer I, don't I was hoping for. I need to. Like, I think the vast majority of the time they hook themselves because they eat mm-hmm. it so hard. Yeah. But, I mean, what's fishing without yamming them? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, I will, I will say, um, it, I guess my thing is, is if I feel a bite and if I'm not sight, even if I'm sight fishing, if I'm not sight fishing, like if I'm fishing the river down here at my apartment or if I'm up at home fishing, I'm on Lake Michigan. Dude, when I feel that tick... I am not thinking about, oh, I'm fishing a glide bait so I can sweep into them or, you know, I'm fishing, you know, whatever. I'm just like instinctively, boom, pull against the grain, start reeling down until I can feel that fish, decide if I want to play it or not, depending on where I'm at, where I'm fishing. And it's always like, dude, I do not have time to think like, oh, I'm going to sweep this fish to the left because I'm fishing, you know, fluorocarbon with like less stretch fluorocarbon with thick hooks i don't want to bend it out or whatever dude hell no it's like feel the bite set the hook get it in, at my feet the fast as fast as i can without giving that fish even a, a a second to decide oh shit i need to start swimming away type thing or i need to fight or whatever it may be you would fit right in brother you'd fit right in <laughs> yeah it i don't know so i guess i kind of get away doing it with with lighter rods like the leviathans load up super super well they've got they you know they they take they load up super deep like almost damn near to the real seat and so you can get away with with dude for the longest time i was fishing straight braid and i kind of finally switched over to mono and floral and stuff but you can get away with with yamming a fish with no drag straight braid on one of those rods what uh what's the what's the setup you guys are using as far as like rods you kind of you kind of mentioned the reels and then did you say you were using straight braid or just no leader floral or mono? Uh just straight braid, straight eighty. Oh hell yeah, straight eighty. Yeah, I, I need, I need I to come down there. <laughs> I stopped losing as many baits when I started listening to. I think I saw it somewhere. Kevin Matson said something once upon a time. It's like if you're fishing a reaction bait, they are not looking at the line. Yeah, and and I was like, yay, now I can lose less baits. And it took a little while to get confidence in it. And I'm sure you went through the same struggle, right? Uh, dude, so I was fishing straight breaks. I was, I was like deathly afraid that a pike or muskie was going to steal my bait. And then after, after I fished for like three years, three, four years, and I didn't have a single, like I caught like two pike. I'm like, you know what? Well, no, it was actually like more like five years. It wasn't until last fall that I switched over to like 17-pound fluoro. And now, you know, I kind of step back down to like 14, 15 pound mono and fluoro. But now it's just like, shit, I liked braid. Like I could, I could get away with some gnarly stuff fishing braid. Like I could rip it past, you know, grass and shit. And I wouldn't worry about, oh, I need to check my net, check my knot or check for nicks or something. So 
dude, honestly, next year I might move back to Braid. Like, I really do not care. It's whatever, it's honestly whatever my store has because I hate ordering, like, one or two things, like, off Tackle Warehouse or off Amazon type deal. So, if my store or Tackle Shop has it, that's what I'm fishing. Yeah, and it's also kind of just, like, a, a seasonal thing. Like, you just, you you get into certain things certain years, and it's like, oh, that was the year of the fluorocarbon. Yeah, like, yeah. That was the year I decided to downsize hooks and learned my lesson or you know right yeah got got whipped like that ordeal <laughs> yeah uh, uh shouldn't have, shouldn't have dropped down the hooks we're gonna <laughs> yeah make that adjustment this year yeah exactly but what rod are you running and is it a super stiff rod like a super fast load up or is it you know uh, a limber rod and it's got a lot a lot of forgiveness to it um i mean i, I guess i just answer that because most of the guys that or on here probably fish them. I, I just really fished the whole Dobbins champion series. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been blessed. Uh, Andrew Swain has made me a rod and I'm going to have him make me another one that has probably got a little bit more parabolic action than even like your 867. But I've been really happy with the Dobbins stuff, you know, just as far as actions and, and Truth be told, you know, fishing the rivers, we break so much gear. You know, yeah. the, the warranty policy. We, we, there's been several times. You know, you're fighting a fish and you're not paying attention. You end up in a tree, and all of a sudden, two rods are busted. And <laughs> you know, like just them being as good as they are with warranty. I mean, they've like overnighted me rods to to like destination trips and stuff. And like, I just can't say enough about those guys. And and the service that they provide with it with a quality quality rod i mean it's certainly you know i enjoy fishing you know my rod from andrew you know the most out of any of the rods i have you know just as far as you know i was able to tell him you know this is the handle i want this is the exact action i want you know really go through everything as far as like guide spacing and picking the blank and you know i enjoy that but unfortunately the the utilitarian nature of it definitely makes makes production the choice for me personally yeah yeah and i mean that makes that makes a lot of sense if you're you know not gonna say <laughs> i'm not gonna say hard on your gear but definitely getting your money's worth out of it like you know you're fishing it 200 days out of the year and you're fishing it fucking hard you know i mean it, there's I, I don't think there's many guys out there who would fish probably a custom production if they're you know, fishing it as hard and going through the scenarios like you guys are. I mean, that, that seems like a no brainer, especially with what is it? You cut the, cut the label off, send it to Dobbins, like $120 uh, fee and they send you a whole new rod. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean that dude, that's hard to beat. And actually Andrew uh, wrote an article for the next, uh, next issue of the zine. So that uh, it's, it, it's obviously about rod stuff. And that's like, going to be super cool. But yeah, dude, he makes he makes some pretty cool rods. Uh, Phil had that Phil's tackle box, like the the medium heavy style, like that one to three ounce one with the big over like chunky gray handles. That was a pretty sick rod. And I've talked to Andrew about that. And he's like, yeah, dude, it's a it's a really cool rod. I, I think that it'd be perfect for like small glide baits and stuff. But I imagine what you guys are doing. It's like it's fucking probably, you know, broomsticks that have a little bit of give to them up towards the tip. Yeah, I mean, I would say my ideal action as far as rods, you know, that people have had in their hands would be that 867 that's kind of mm -hmm. like between the broomstick and the giant cranking stick. Yeah. You definitely want that when they run, they run. And mm -hmm. you would 
you definitely pull some hooks. Like I started kind of with musky rods because there wasn't much available. Yeah. And you would you would definitely lose some fish with with the true broomstick action. So you want some give, you know, for sure. I'd say a, an eight sixty seven is the perfect, you know, striper rod for most of the baits that you're gonna throw for these fish. Right. Yeah. Have you ever busted a reel because the drag's down so tight? Somehow I have not. I I don't really know how I haven't. I busted a reel seat, but not not ever like actually trashed a reel. No. Huh. You said you're fishing tranks three hundreds or four hundreds? Uh, both, both, mostly the four hundreds though. Like I've got the four hundred on on the eight sixty seven and the nine oh eight and the three hundreds on the the smaller stuff like the eight oh six and the seven ninety five. Yeah. Are you power handle or just a normal two two grip handle? Man, I was all team power handle for a while, and then Vic came down here with the new Gomexis handles. Yeah, and I like I had some heartburn. You know, there's you can say whatever you want about you know folks with really nice handles and did you know is it a waste of money or whatever? But you know, I just couldn't make the jump for you know, like a $130 kind of hog tech or, you know, a real nice, you know, burial or something like that. He brought those new, you know, big Gomexus handles down and I have abandoned the power handle. I've, I put those on all my reels. Now I think it's the 130 millimeter double handles and, and I've, it kind of gives you like close to the power handle in terms of like additional leverage, but it, it, balances the the rod a lot better and or not the rod a lot better but it's a lot better balance on the drive shaft mm-hmm. of the reel because what you run into and i've seen this criticism of the tranks and the lexas with the power handles i've had it happen to me twice is if it settles at exactly the right spot yeah <laughs> and you have it in free spool it will click over on you and and that is a quick way to lose a lose a glide bait Especially with full braid on a lockdown reel. Yeah. Yeah, learn that lesson. Yeah. Um so the old the old uh the old Lexa wins, like the black with the blue handle ones, those were apparently notorious for it. But I had a power handle one, I had a power three hundred size, and dude, I never ever had a problem, but I also wasn't fishing huge stuff. I had for some reason I had a three hundred size reel with like gantrells and stuff. So it was I probably was never throwing enough weight for it to actually engage, but I just remember that was the huge stink and fuss about that reel, and I just had no idea at the time. And, you know, looking back at it now, people are always bitching about it now. I'm like, huh, never had a fucking problem with that reel. But, you know, fishing, I've got the uh, Abu Toro Revo, I think, like S. I don't even know. They're all fucking, their names are all too close alike. But anyway, it's the white one, and it's got the power handle on it. It's like the 60 size. Dude, some, like, I I double check to make sure that that uh, that power handle is at least like at the six o'clock position when I cast, especially when I'm casting like the mother. Because I'm like, dude, if this thing fucking engages halfway through my cast and this mother just keeps going after my reel stops, I'm gonna be pissed because it sinks like a rock. So, you know, I'm I'm always leery of that. But you know, knock on wood, I have not had bad repercussions from a power handle yet. Ah, uh, man. I, I wish I could say the same. I was in the same boat for many, many years, and then I watched 
my my prototype 12 inch taxi sail away through the sky and that was yeah enough for me <laughs> yeah I actually take that back i have definitely lost some baits i probably have lost three or four taxi trout from that reel now that i think about it that's why i've gone through so many <laughs> because i cast it a lot off and other people cast it a lot off so you know there's a i could i could pin the location there are you know probably close to a dozen um taxi trout in a lake michigan channel that you could probably dive and get <laughs> that i fucking have lost over the years oh so you're also a man of culture losing taxi trouts i like it yeah dude there for a while like uh summer of 2020 i was making a post like every other week because i was just fishing them so much i'd, I'd bash them and break them or i'd cast them off or you know i'd fucking lose them you know i'd, I'd leave them at the pier when i'd go home type thing like there, there are a lot of posts of me asking for taxi trout, and for some reason, like, it kept getting harder and harder to find for the longest time. Like, there, the one I have now, um, I've had for a while, and that one was hard to find. I think I paid like 184, and that's when they were not that that expensive, like retail wise. And it was just because this guy knew I wanted one, and he knew there wasn't really many out there. Guys weren't selling them, so. I fucking paid the premium for it, and that thing's caught me so many damn fish, it doesn't really even matter at this point in time. Uh, if you need a backup, I got quite a few. Dude, I fished the shit. The one I have now is absolutely beat to shit. The first one I ever had was beat to shit. I mean, I had I had two or three days of, of you know, 20, 30 fish days on on shore, like, with this bait. Dude, It's 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 uh, it was such a crazy bait, and it still is such a crazy bait for that area I fish. And I have not found a bait that I can fish fast like that to catch fish, dude. It's it's fucking crazy how how special that bait is in this area for some reason. And and Phil didn't believe me when he came up a couple of years ago. He was trying to fish the paperweight when the paperweight was new. I'm like, dude, that's not gonna work. And you know, the last day he's here, he picks up that taxi trout. He misses one right at his feet, like three casts. You know, ten casts later, he catches a four and a half, five pounder. He's like, oh my gosh, I really didn't think I was gonna catch a fish fishing it like you told me to. I'm like, dude, I don't know what it is, but these fish are amped to see this thing swim the way it does when you're when you're just reeling that sucker fast as hell. Dude, you are a ready-made striper fisherman. You fish a taxi trout fast, straight braid, sixty size reel. You're you're ready-made, dude. Come on down. Dude, I, I'm also since I don't have uh, since I don't have like a dirty dragon leviathan like that extra extra heavy. I have probably caught. Well, actually, I've caught all of my taxi trout fish on the nine to sixteen ounce thirteen muse rod. So that thing is an absolute broomstick. It doesn't load up at all. You feel like one little tick in your line, and you just sweep and you just grind them in and flip them up. You know, eight foot up onto the pier head. It's for anybody who's never fished Lake Michigan and like caught a lot of fish, dude, it is some crazy shit. It is so much fun. It sounds like it. It sounds like a blast. And I've I've talked to Victor about this spot, and you know he he had never been out here, so he didn't realize it. But after Phil came out here, he's like, Vic, like this spot is crazy how it sets up. Like there's 20 foot rip and wrap. It's you know 20 foot visibility. You can see down to the bottom, no problem. And these fish are literally coming up off the bottom and. And swiping at this bait, dude, it, it gets fucking primal there. That is wild. Sounds like sounds like a lot of the stuff we got to a certain degree. You man, if you came down here, you wouldn't go back. I don't think. Yeah, dude, it's it's a fucking crazy spot. But anyway, I've talked about my fish, you know, through 103 episodes. So kind of getting back to yours. So you guys are using kind of kind of the, those Dobbin rods, the uh, three, four hundred size tranks and stuff. You said ST36s for your glide baits or for your baits? 
Uh, 66s. Oh, yeah. 66s. Okay. I got really, I got really into uh fishing the 35s on like shad style baits too. Like I think there's really something, and I've seen it continue like in our shoal bass fishing and um, trout fishing. There is something about that offset T gap that absolutely just if those fish breathe on a 35 they're they're gonna get hooked and i will downsize to a 35 like if they're nipping and i will <laughs> that is the only time on earth i will ever back to drag off is when i have to downsize to a 35 because i feel like i'm not you know getting the right eat to get the penetration right yeah and so kind of backtracking a little bit when you first got into the swim baits on the river what was your first swim bait out there and what did that kind of tell you and tell your buddies that you were fishing with like holy shit we need to start fishing these more we need to find you know bigger swim baits or or just something like that we need more kind of what was that experience like um so we started i guess going back to the first time i saw a swim bait like a like a big glide this was a while ago we're there's a guy named dave hammer that probably a lot of the old heads know i don't think he's really on social media aside from facebook but he came down and brown trout fished with me i guess this is like 2014 2015 and he pulls out this what was a depths 250 at that point and that was before like anyone really knew what a depths was outside of like the swim bait dudes and mm -hmm. I was like, oh, oh my goodness, like what what is that? And we were fishing it, and he had probably like a 26, 28 inch brown come up and just try to destroy it. And so he left me a depths 175, and I started fishing that for trout and did did well with it. And like, all right, we gotta we gotta upsize here. And I guess that was right about when Vic was getting started with his deal, and I got ordered a couple of he just happened to be the first bait I saw in stock, you know, that was kind of that next level garage built kind of bait and ordered a couple from him, caught some trout on him. And then we went, we went up to like a, a smaller river that we usually don't fish like late summer. It's like, all right, let's, let's see if we can get a striper to eat one of these. And this was like late September. So the season was about over. And I'm throwing it over this sand flat that had a cut bank on it. And this fish is probably like 10, 12 pounds, something like that. You know, nothing special. And I watched this thing swim literally like 50 feet across this sand flat to just crush this thing. Oh, shit. And it was just like light bulb on, okay, this is it. Let's go. And unfortunately, that was the end of the season, so I, you know, I had all winter to think about it. Like, all right, let's let's get geared up, let's go. And uh, yeah, it went it went pretty much down that road and fished the you know the standard taxis, some other baits there for like a year, and then I really really started bugging Vic about like I, I need something like bigger, and that was he had been working on the twelve. And I, he was having a hard time with it. And he's, you know, Johnny and I put together like a, a big order of taxi trouts and, you know, magically a couple of these 12 inches showed up with, with, the, you know, with the order. And it's kind of like, man, I'm having trouble with this. 
see if you guys can catch fish on them. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep working on it. And they they really sat in our box for like a year because you could fish them, they would swim, but you'd have to hit them like really, really hard. Yeah. To get them to glide right. And There's a lot of bait to be moving, a lot of skinny bait too. It is. It is. And um, this is actually one of my favorite striper stories ever is I was down to like my last taxi trout. We were fishing a river, you know, up in the mountains that has seen you know, big ones in it. And I had a fish, I don't know, he's probably like 30, something like that. He'd come up and grab the back hook on my last taxi and caught the front hook on a log and he ripped the back half of the bait off. I'm like, fuck, fuck. I don't have, you know, this. I'm, we're one day into a three day trip and I just lost my ace in the hole. Shit. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to deal with the physicality of fishing this 12 and how you have to hit it to make it move. And so I throw out up over this like shallow shoal and fish just eats it like one glide in and fought him back to the boat. And that original iteration of the 12 had um, a big dorsal fin on it. And this fish just went like nuts by the side of the boat. Get him handled, get him gone. And I look down, I'm like, fuck. Broke the fucking fins off of it. Mm -hmm. Shit, this thing isn't going to swim. You know, it's not going to swim at all now. Like, whatever, I'm going to keep throwing it. And uh, next cast, I was like, holy fuck, this thing works. Like, good, good. The, the fin was fucking it up. So I called Vic. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm going to the to the nail salon thing and getting some, you know, nail files. We're filing all the fins off of it. I'm going to file the belly up and, like, flatten it out a little bit because the original one, like, the belly kind of came to a point. And so, like, I flattened out the belly, got rid of the fins, and it was just, like, amazing. And Vic went and he, like, he did his, his Vic thing and he somehow, you know, Took the fins, took the fins off, flattened up the belly, played with the joint a little bit, and he made it like even better. And that was right when he came down here. So that's why it's called the buck knife, is because it was like trimmed up drunk in my garage with a buck knife. Oh shit. <laughs> oh, that's funny as hell. Dude, have did he ever tell you or did you ever see the 14 inch taxi? I did. I did. I saw it. I've never seen one in person, but I would, I would love to mess around with one for sure. Dude, I wanted one so fucking bad, and he would not sell it to me. He's like, no. He's like, you catch enough fish with the 10-inch with the one. I'm like, Vic, I think I could catch a really big fish with the 14. And he's like, no. And, dude, there's only, like, six out there, I think. I don't think there's many at all. And it's, dude, it's a wicked bait. I've got, here, I'll send it to you. I've got a picture of one in the t in the test tank this was like 2019 it must have been and man it's 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 a lot of fucking bait it's got like three eye joint or like three eye bolts to hold that joint together because that's so much fucking resin <laughs> who was it that you had on that has one someone said they had one. Oh no shit um fuck i don't even know who would who said they would have one uh was it alec Maybe Alex said he did have one or he wanted one, maybe? I don't know. Whoever has one, I will do unspeakable things for it. Dude, 
I would I would buy I would buy one if Vic came out with one I would fucking buy it because it's it's such a cool fucking bait it's so big. Oh, and like a twenty pound striper would just waylay it. Like you don't even need to have a big striper to eat a bait like that. Which is absolutely crazy, dude. That's so fucking wild. So after, I mean, did you go back out those next two days after you filed that bait down and caught fish on the twelve inch one? Yep, yep. And then Vic came down, like. I want to say like three weeks later and he brought, you know, the new version of them, like the, the tuned up, not the drunk Alex with a knife thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he brought down three of them, I think. And I actually lost the one he gave me, um, on that trip this, this past June, I was, I shed a few tears over it, but that particular individual bait he brought down from that has got my personal best on it and it had my last personal best on it too and, and it's gone and my understanding is the mold does not exist anymore either son of a bitch <laughs> dang man damn it dude that's fucking that's shitty i mean did you i mean this probably this is a too small of a bait for you did you ever see a 12 or a, uh, an eight inch taxi Yes, I've seen one. Johnny's got one. He uh that's another funny story. Nate and Vic came down to uh fish with us and Nate forgot to clean out the skipjack out of his live well. Jesus. And they were sitting there in the sun for like three days and Johnny cleaned the live well to get the eight inch taxi. <laughs> dude, that eight inch taxi slaps fish, dude. That thing is a fish catching bait. It it is a little monster, dude. It is. Johnny's is brook trout, and he he slaps on it. Dude, I had a bone one, and I don't know where it went. I think I think somebody stole it because I just I do not remember where that thing went, and I caught so many fish with that thing for the short amount of time I had it. It's unfortunate. It's it unfortunate. <laughs> they come and go. It's like Gilbert. I think it's Gilbert. Tie it on. Consider it gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always sad. Like, and obviously, it's sad, but it's like it's unfortunate when you lose a bait that you caught a lot of fish on. Cause you're like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have fucking either casted there, or I should have tied on a new bait, or or whatever. But it's also like, dude, it's cool to look at a bait on the wall, but it's like, man, do I really want to pay one hundred and eighty dollars for another one if I have one right here I can go fish? <laughs> yeah. It's it's brutal. I've got one retired, and it's the original buck knife. That yeah, and that that's got a cool story behind it. So it's like okay, it's kind of it's kind of worth it not being there. Like there's a story of you carving it type thing and catching fish on it. So it's like ah, that one's okay. To, that one's okay to kind of have hang up. Yeah, that one I was not gonna, and and the joint was starting to go too. There were enough fish caught on it, but you know yeah, I was, like this one needs to go. And I got a mount done of you know, my personal best that I got last year. So that's where it resides in its mouth. Hell yeah, dude. Well, how big is your personal best? How big of a striper are we talking here? Uh, it was 46 inches and 43 pounds. Damn. Dude, that's a fucking tank of a fish. And did you catch, was that kind of like you caught it? Like you could see that Omnia shadow on like on the bank and you cast it at it or how did, what was the story behind this fish? Uh, I was actually in the boat with Tyler. It was the craziest thing that I think of the craziest, like two hours of fishing ever. And, um, 
it ate it like three feet from the side of the boat and it literally shot up off the bottom with like three feet of line out and all of a sudden a basketball sized white void just opened up and destroyed it wow it, it was ungodly like it was the eat that you will like live if, if you had not if i had not caught that fish i would have seen that eat in my dreams until i died yeah right it's like that uh like moby dick tail it is uh, like we put tyler got two over 40 that afternoon we had seven fish total for 227 pounds in two hours oh, <laughs> It was it was stupid. Like we'll never experience that again. Yeah, right. I mean, dude, that's that's crazy as hell. Are is the taxi trout the go to because it's got that like it's obviously got that trout pattern and trout shape and stuff? Or have you found luck with with shad glides and in wake baits and stuff like that? Or is it always just trout glides? Uh no, definitely. Like there's a bunch of other like profiles and baits. The the thing I would say, um, in particular about the taxi and i would say this goes for rafa's stuff too is as if you really like spend a lot of time with stripers you can see in their the actions of those baits that the guys who built them fish for striper like i absolutely adore a phony shot for everything other than striper you know, it's just very mechanical, gets mm-hmm. to one level, stays at that level, wide. You know, you're not going to do a whole lot of like zippy, kind of twitchy stuff with it. And, you know, Vic, especially I think at the time he was kind of dialing the taxi, he was doing a lot of fishing, you know, up there around him for stripers. And, you know, like, if you listen to Rafa, like, I, I throw a lot of Rafa's stuff, too, like his 10-inch shad, um, like his 11-inch trout. You know, I'll throw those as well. And I'll throw a lot of HPHs, too. But all of those baits have one thing in common, which is a lot of a lot of belly roll. And they kind of, like, operate in three dimensions, if you will. Like, when you're gliding them, they're going to come across and shoot down and then as you bring them back across they're going to come up and then shoot back down and they've got like more depth to their to their action than something you know like a like a phony or you know something else i'm trying to think of a good comparison hoogs also do it too like he makes a very good striper bait too the hoog trout is a very good striper bait um oh go ahead I was just to say you'd see it with an HPH too. Yeah. Dude, I almost wonder if like the way I fish the taxi, if if that's transferable to striper fishing. Cause dude, I'm fishing this thing like and the thing is, is it doesn't look great. Like it's jumping out of the water, it's zipping back and forth, you know, it's nosing up, it's nosing down type thing, it's blowing out to one side. And that just makes these fish lose their fucking mind. And you know, the way you're talking, I'm like, shit, dude, what if that's like Oh, transferable way like i'm comfortable fishing with like for largemouth like that that you could go out onto a striper fishery and do the same thing and have success with with striper if if i was bringing someone in the boat that was new to it and i saw them retrieve a bait like you're describing i would be like all right you're set you've got it 
Dude, you'll have to. I don't know if you're like if you talk to Phil at all, but you'll have to ask him about. It, or I'll pull up some cast sketches if I have any. I mean, it's literally like real, 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 dude. It's it's and and Vic Vic hates when I talk about it because he's like, dude, you're telling guys how to fish this bait that like only works for you. Like, there's gonna be guys who go out and try to fish this and be like, this thing looks like shit. And I'm like, Vic, that's the thing. It looks like shit, but these fish just lose their fucking minds for it he's like yeah i know it works for you so i can't complain that's that's how we fishing for striper yeah damn dude that sounds i have him build mine like heavy as shit though so they're usually not like breaking the surface Mm -hmm. because you can't get them like back down in the river if they break the surface but like i've just weighted mine to the point where i'm fishing them exactly like you're talking about just a foot below the surface Hmm. blowing them out sometimes you know overshooting them that kind of thing yeah yeah um wakes and crankdowns have become like a big deal for us too i mean i don't think vic sells them commercially um but i i'll talk about it because i know i've seen him post you know several videos and you like cast the catches on it so it's not a secret that it exists but uh that mr wiggles platform he has that's built off of the slim shad that's mr wiggles yeah Fuck, I don't even know if I know what you're talking about. Shit, let me walk out to the boat. While we're talking, I'll take a picture. Hmm. But um, yeah, that, that platform is has been a great wake bait. And then he gave me a couple and well he didn't give them to me. Bottom. I should say that. But um ended up with a few wiggles and I actually had the bill fall out of one. And I was like, all right, let's see if we can make this into a crankshaft. So I cut a acrylic lip and glued it in and kind of fucked with the line tie until I could get the thing to drop, you know, three, four feet on the crank down and the crank down wiggle become a thing. In the, uh, in the process of Alex going out and grabbing those baits, we dropped signal for, so we lost you guys for a second, but we're back. He, he went out to the boat and picked up these, these baits that somehow I'd never heard of or maybe even seen. I don't know. I got to wait for you to send a picture so I can, I know what you're talking about here. So this one's the standard wiggles. I mean, he's, he's put these all over his Facebook, so mm, okay. don't, be, don't be mad at me, Vic. <laughs> So that's the standard wiggles. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, okay. I, I didn't even know that was the fucking name of this bait, dude, but I know what you're talking about now. And that's the crankdown version. Let's see if this one loads here. Okay, yeah. So I, I definitely, I know what bait these are. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Dude, those are, those are honestly fucking pretty badass looking. Like, that looks like a... I don't even know what that the tail. I think tail is what does it that like sells that profile. It does. It has something to do with the action, I think, too. Like it's kind of like a shallow invader. Like there's mm-hmm. something to that. There's something to how like that big piece of plastic either like quiets down the bait or or something of that nature. I don't I don't know what it is. He's the he's the man who knows. I'm just yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, what's it like when a big like uh, when, a, when I'm going to say big, but it's probably different terms for you. When like a big 20 pound striper comes up and eats off top or, you know, eats a crank down that's only a foot down. Is that some like wicked stuff to see? Yeah, it's, it's unreal. 
It's unreal. I've got a got a little video. I think I'll send you real quick and give you a good idea. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, a fish that big coming up and eating off top, like there's no way they're doing that like gingerly. Like they've got to make a commotion. So this one I'm sending you, it's a glidey, and it's like a foot underneath the bottom. And it's about a 20-pounder. Oh, my God, dude. I just sent you a, a picture of that multi-joint taxi swimmer because it's not even, a, not even a glide bait or anything. Oh, well, we have to talk about the boat, too. That's one thing that we kind of have to... Oh, my gosh. Dude, that's like... <laughs> that's crazy as hell. Just that's, comes what, that's what they do. It's a, wild. A big boil, and then you sweep into them, and they just lose their mind. Yeah, and they just start cartwheeling across the surface and just doing stripery things. Damn, dude. That, that's so sick. So I guess another thing from what I've heard, and Vic has kind of, Vic, Phil, and I have talked about on the show on previous episodes, um, and this kind of can round off the, the questions I have as far as off the top of my head. So Vic is fishing them in a different kind of set up you are rather than a, a river it's kind of a lake type deal and he says that these fish like almost you know they just, they just fucking teleport like you look away you look back and there's a fish with the bait with the bait in its mouth is that kind of the same thing or are most of these fish you're seeing and catching with the glide baits and stuff you can watch eat if it's like sun up and, and the water's low enough and stuff or do you have them where where you talked about that 170 that depth 175 fish where it came from 50 foot away like is that also a, a common occurrence um them coming like that kind of distance isn't really an occurrence but i would say like 60 to 70 percent of the fish that we catch you see the fish follow it and, and eat it. And they do, they just like kind of teleport out of the log jam and then they get, you know, a foot off of it. And that's when you really kind of got to fuck with them to get them to eat it. And you'll get like a few of your bites will be, you know, real close to the bank, just like don't see them and they just yamp it. And then the, the rest of them are just like, they shoot up off the bottom out of nowhere like that. You know, that that big one I caught where it's just like, oh my god, a white a white void just opened up and vacuumed this shit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh oh, I had a question. Um uh teleporting. Oh crap. Oh, this is gonna piss me off. Um Chasing down baits. Oh, oh, that's what it was. So when I'm fishing up here on Lake Michigan, and I, I say this because this is what I've experienced, and I've had other guys that I kind of start talking about it, and they know exactly what I mean. When you're sight fishing like largemouth and smallmouth, you can tell by their peck fins, like when they start doing those fast circles and they're going really fast, you can t or when they're kind of opening up their mouth really fast, you can tell that that fish is just ready to destroy your bait, if not just needs just a little bit more hoaxing to bite. Are you able to read stripers like that, or does it almost happen so fast where it's a make or break? If you don't twitch right now, that fish is going to swim away. In between, you, you you get one shot, but I wouldn't say it's like. Uh, if you screw it up the first time, you're you're not going to get them. You can turn them off, but yeah. usually you get enough time to make an educated decision. If you know what you're looking at mm -hmm. to, to figure it out. Like, have you ever fished for spotted bass? No, no, we don't have those either, unfortunately. Okay, like, 
Spots and smallies are like are kind of similar in my experience. I might be misspeaking, but like we call spots like baby stripers because mm-hmm. they, they do that stuff. And and I've seen like the same kind of behavior out of smallmouth and my limited opportunities with them. So I would say like when you have a fish come up off the bottom that's like buzzing around your your glide bait, you know, you're throwing that taxi over 20 feet of water and they're coming up just like buzzing around it. That's that's kind of what you should picture with the stripers. Okay. And usually like the, the majority of the time they do not come up by themselves when they do that. There's like four or five of them. Like you, you have not lived until you've seen five 30 pounders roll out of a log jam. Oh my gosh. It's, it's absurd. Damn dude. It's, are you at a point in time now where maybe you see, you know, a 15 pound class fish and you know you just you just continue with your day like you're you don't really get upset about it or you don't feel like that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if that was the only fish we saw that day, I'd be like, hey, yeah, pissed that we didn't get it. But like we were pissed. Tyler and I were pissed off all weekend because we had like you could not keep it away from the fifteen pounder and the thirty pounder was coming underneath it. We're just like damn it, like, I don't want to catch another 15-pounder. Like, I want the one that's coming underneath it. And, yeah. and you just can't get it past them sometimes. Is there any mannerisms that you guys have picked up on where those 15-pound fish, fifteen fish act differently than in those 25-pound and up? Like, I guess maybe fishing bigger baits, does that help at all? Or fishing them faster, or fishing them slower, fishing them deeper? Have you guys kind of cracked the code to anything like that? Or is it, if, if it's in front of this fish, no matter what size, it's going to try to come up and eat it, whether it's small or not? You can, you can size out those smaller fish. And that's, you know, I guess one of the only kind of hacks to it that we've figured out is, you know, when you see them that fired up, you know, it, throw a bigger bait. And a lot of times what those bigger fish are doing is they're just letting that 15 pounder kill it. And they're eating, they're stealing the, the bait from it. Yeah. Like if you hook, if you hook that 15 pounder, like a lot of times the big one will chase them around until oh, you figure yeah, out yeah. something's off. And, and we've had, you know, we've had fish where, you know, you, you've got a 15 and a 25 strapped to the same bait, you know, front hook, back hook. Damn. Have you guys ever tried the double attack rig by chance? Double attack rig. Where, um, so it's kind of the way you see it majority of the time is K9 in the back, TK with no hooks in the front. Have you guys ever ever thought about running a double rig like that? Like, uh, I guess, quote unquote, like a swim bait umbrella, essentially? Um, not... Not with hard baits. What we have done is um, we've built like some A rigs and stuff like that, you know, and thrown, you know, multiple HUDs on them. Or, you know, we'll run like 12 inch sluggos, like 10 inch finesses on like supersized donkey rigs and stuff like that. But never played with it with the hard baits. Dude, it is, it's some crazy shit watching a fish chase one bait and then it's like it's freaking out because it doesn't know whether to go for the bait that's six inches ahead of it that's a little bit smaller or try to go for this big one. It's dude, it's a fucking blast. I've I haven't done it with anything other than a K9 TK, but man, I could see that 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 sort of thing, you know, catching two to four fish at once if that's kind of how you're laying it out like that. Like, dude, that would be fucking crazy as hell. So, is is that like a 
like who makes that is that like a off-the-shelf product um or do you rig it like is it so the, the one i had i made out of 140 pound mono and crimson stuff but you can buy them off like uh the hookup tackle here attack attack rig uh fishing but the problem is is they're super hard to find and it depends like sometimes you'll order one and it'll be the fucking small version and you're like oh shit i wanted the fucking big version oh dude i just found it they're in stock at tackle warehouse here i'll send you the link it's called the signal swim bait double attack rig you're gonna send me down a rabbit hole brother dude so yeah the heavy duty one here let's let's read what uh what the differences are um okay never mind major failure after less than 200 casts i lost two eight two eight inch huds Eighty dollars plus ten dollars for the rig, so ninety dollars. I really thought it was gonna be a game changer for the river striper. Oh shit! Well, this guy from Bullhead City, Arizona, was already ahead of the game as of uh, January, February, March tenth. So maybe, maybe make your own because it doesn't sound like these are maybe the best. <laughs> but uh, I'll look into it and try to build. But build I've seen, one. dude, they're so easy to build. Like they're not hard at all. Um, but I've seen multiple guys talk about them, and that's literally right there what i just read that was the first bad review i've seen off of him so you know whatever it may be you know he could have just tied a shitty knot or something or didn't snap the oh swivel yeah tyler's run that yeah tyler's run that before in the boat with me yeah then there's also a company um oh it's like tornado hold on tornado tornado innovation makes them out of like out of mono and they make mono a rigs they make some really cool shit this this place does um yeah they do like big huge chandelier a rigs all sorts of stuff out out of the stuff they make and it's all super cool you just you don't see many guys talk about it or fish it because it is kind of dude it's so fucking off the wall like you have to be willing to lose two baits at once but also <laughs> i mean you got you got to kind of fuck around with it and take hooks off baits and then figure out where you can run hooks on the baits if you can run hooks at all like some guys don't run any hook on the front TK because it, they say it gets sagged up too much. And it's also, it's a lot of bait to be casting at once. So it kind of tires you out after a while too. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's some merit to this. There's some merit to this rig. I'm going to play with it. Yeah, dude. I mean, if you, if, if you did a 10 inch and an eight inch taxi or two tens or two paper or just something like whatever it may be. That could be pretty, pretty fucking killer. Or even a crank down, like a wake, uh, the the one that you sent me a picture of. If you did that on top and the crank down on bottom, like oh, that, yeah. that could be pretty crazy too. I like where your head's at. I like <laughs> it. I think, dude, I just, I heard you say that they like taking baits out of each other's mouths. And it's kind of, I mean, it's essentially just a swim bait donkey rig with less play in it. Like you're not having a free, 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 uh, free moving swivel on the main line. And, you know, while that, while that fish is freaking out, that other bait is going to be a foot and foot, foot and a half, depending on how big you run that leader. Like it's going to be out there, you know, freaking out too. So, I mean, that might trigger some bites too. And like I said, I bet you there's, there's a day where if you run across a pack of them, dude, you could catch, you could hook three or four fish at a time with that, with that double rig, which would be fucking crazy. I don't even know if you'd be able to handle what three, four, 15, 20 pound striper. That would have to be fucking crazy, dude. Hey, that's a bridge I'm willing to cross when I get to it. When you get there, yeah. Um, do you run head hooks on the taxis at all, or is there no need to? Uh, I haven't. No. If I could do anything, I would put a tail hook in it. 
Okay. Because because fish are kind of swiping at it and missing hooks, or what's the reasoning behind that? Um, uh, they they do a lot of like stun eats, where they'll you know they'll they come up and they try to slow it down and they'll yeah. nip the tail and come back on it. And I think there's a lot of fish that don't come back. And I, I just think we could add, you know, I, I think we could add a few fish in the boat over the uh, over the season if you could do that. There's a video of a guy who's messing with, um, I forget his name, but he's like Striper God out on the West Coast. And he was rigging like a quick release kind of deal on a Hero Squaw. Mm-hmm. And and he was a big proponent of the tail hooks. Vic could tell you the guy's name. I, I completely forgot. I want to say it's like Billy Andreessen or, or something of that nature. It's not garbage, Bob. <laughs> but yeah, he had a he had a nice little little setup for that, and I've I just haven't gotten around to playing with it too much. Hell yeah, dude! I think that's all the questions I had for the bait side of things, and I want to talk you know ten fifteen minutes on the boat because. You know, we'll say 90, 95% of guys listening to this, if they have a boat, you know, it's probably some variation or some style of bass boat or or that style of boat, like a lake boat. And you're probably one of the only guys that's been on the podcast who utilizes like that, that special boat. And um, it, it now now that I'm here talking about your boat, it makes sense that you're fishing shallow water like that, why you would need the style boat. So you use a jet motor boat which is, like I said, something kind of special. Like, not many guys listening to this probably have driven one or have one or whatnot. So what uh, what kind of led you into getting one of those? Have you always had one, or what was what was the idea behind that? Um, Yeah, I was always just gravitated so much to rivers and, and not really to lakes. And originally, you know, I started with a kayak in college. Um, by the end of college, I bought a beat-up John boat and could put a, you know, 9.9 prop on it. And we just couldn't get all the places we wanted to go. And jets are really popular in the South. You know, a lot of guys have them down here. I shouldn't say a lot, but like compared to a lot of other areas of the country, like the Southeast and like the Northeast, like up around Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, those are kind of like the big jet areas. Mm -hmm. And I'd seen a couple guys, you know, have them. And I was like, oh, you know, okay, they can go through that. That's cool. And, you know, I could never go in these places. So, you know, you, you can run them in the lake, not, not all that well. You're definitely sacrificing performance, but you can get to where you need to go in the lake, you know, no problem. But I just said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go down the jet road and really marry myself to the rivers. So when I, made, when I got, like, my second second job out of college and kind of got like that first halfway decent raise um i found a used jet down here it was a 1756 weld built with a 6040 on it and that let us you know go pretty much anywhere we wanted um but there were still like some spots we couldn't get to with it you know just because of rocks and you know quite how shallow some things were you know, you can run like your pretty standard jets in like four to six inches of water, no problem. Mm-hmm. And um, I always had my eye on you know an inboard jet with um, 
the UMHW plastic on the bottom. And the one I really wanted was a, you know, rock proof. So I finally found one two years ago that, you know, had, had some problems. You know, the new ones are out of my price range for sure. But um, finally found one that like had some problems I could deal with. And um, older guy down here who's actually taught me a lot about striper fishing. You know, he taught me to weld and weld on that boat. And we got it all fixed up. And so it's it's basically a 200 Optimax powerhead. And it's built like a bass boat. It's a 2072 hull. So it's 20 feet long, 6 feet wide at the bottom. It's got a 200 Optimax in it with um, an inboard jet. And bolted to the bottom of the boat is basically a half-inch thick, hyper-dense um, plastic cutting board. Yeah. And it slides over, you know, any rock you really want. And so, like, we'll nose up to a shoal or something and, like, put the front of the boat on a shoal and just jump over it. It's like the next level of jets it's like wet rocks you can if it's wet you can get over it like most guys that have a rock proof have have a winch on their boat yeah yeah and and vic was there for when i was learning on that boat he he helped us get it out of a couple of stuck situations (laughs) dude that's so fucking awesome um but the only rock. experience, the only experience I've ever had with jet boats is my uh, uncle owned one for fishing the big manistee for trout and stuff, and that was always super cool. Um, there was a guy who was local in Michigan somewhere, and he, like, this was a couple of years ago. He would make he like quote unquote made the most badass jet boats ever, you know, indestructible hull, all sorts of crazy shit. And it was actually like a big Ponzi scheme, like a big fraud. And my uncle paid him like you know, just an absolute insane amount of money. And up until a couple of years ago, he finally got that money back from this lawsuit from this guy who had never actually made these boats. And uh, those are the two experiences I've had with jet boats. But dude, they all like, they get up and they, they go like when it's time to go, they fucking rip too. They do. They do. It's they're faster than they need to be for damn sure. Like, and, and they handle like fucking butter. Like when you turn, like when you turn that fucking, wheel whatever you're doing console do that thing fucking turns now yeah the inboards for sure the inboards are like a whole other level of handling than than even the outboards and uh, it's just there's it's cool to have but there's i i do not run it at full throttle much anymore put it that way like there's there's no sensible reason you need to be busting down river at like 48 miles an hour yeah exactly <laughs> no, no sensible reason yeah is uh is that common practice outside of your friend group to have jet boats or is that kind of something that you guys have that everybody's like why the fuck do they have have a jet a jet motor on their boat down here it's if you fish rivers and are dedicated to rivers it's fairly common practice you know like we go out and say i go out like on local water or something like that you know you'll see four or five jets in a day they're 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 common down here mm-hmm. so it's not not like not like we have anything like crazy that no one else has i mean there's very few inboard jets down here so that i'm definitely at an advantage in terms of you know speed and just like the size of the platform the the gear i can take with me because like mine's basically set up like a bass boat yeah 
like it's got all the storage compartments live well the whole nine yards and most jets you see are like in that 16 foot kind of range with like a 60 40 jet on it those, those are the common ones down here like your g3 jets stuff like that but they're, yeah. they're by no means uncommon at all right and and for people who don't know like those jet motors as long as as long as a, just a little bit's under the water like you can fucking run it right like you can run in some serious skinny water yeah you you can get yourself in a lot of trouble with the skinny water yeah i mean i would say mine like if i come up on say like a giant gravel flat that's you know consistent and i know the flat or something and i come in on pad just screaming two inches is not a problem dude that that's fucking crazy it's i think a lot of people that come with me are like have more fun with the ride like you could literally get your ass whipped fishing all day and just say all right we're gonna go run the boat like this would be fun fuck it huh that's i knew that you could run it in skinny water and i knew that you could get pretty fucking daring with it but dude two to two inches of water that's crazy to think about it it is it really is you still even if you do it a million times you still scare the shit out of yourself like how am i like how you're going by and you can see every tiny little pebble it's it's absurd yeah, and then you got to act cool when when people are with you. So like, okay, they don't they don't need to see me losing my shit because I need to act like I've been here before. Yeah, you you definitely do. Uh, I have my younger dog. He really likes to ride on the front of the boat, and I can't. Oh, I'm not gonna gonna stop him. But there is definitely one time at a river that uh, I I missed missed a little gravel bar, and uh, young young man went flying through the air into the hole and. I had to sit there for four hours until the water came up. Oh my gosh, you beached yourself, dude. That's <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. crazy. Uh, that happens more than you, I, I like to admit. <laughs> wow. Dude, that, that's how you know you're going fucking hardcore. Like, you're, you're running to, to go, go down and chase these fish type thing. Oh, yeah. For sure. I don't, I don't like beating the boat up, but if we got to get the fish, we got to get to the fish. Right, yeah. I mean, as long as as long as like I'd go down and I I'd catch like you know fifteen or twenty, I'd be fucking happy. Like, okay, well, you know, it was worth it was worth that fifteen seconds of shitting myself on the way up here. Like, okay, we can, I we can go back and I'll be happy now. Type thing. Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, it was worth it. Right, it yeah. Worth- Hell yeah, dude. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we didn't uh, didn't touch on? I feel like we were all over the place. We covered a lot of shit, but. You know, listening back to it, it'll probably be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this, or I can't believe we didn't talk about that sort of thing. Oh, da, da, da. Um, one, one thing I would say uh, before we close this out is, you know, you're very familiar with where you're at geographically, but yeah. um, you know how you guys stop fishing for muskie when it gets to a certain temperature? Uh, yes, I know of that. I know people who do that. Yeah. Uh, striper are very much the same thing. So if, uh, if anyone here, you know, wants to go pursue these fish, you know, in the warmer months, like we do, I would just ask that you try to be 
very educated about what your water temperatures are and to really not fish them if the water is over, you know, 74 degrees because they will eat between 74 and 78, but you will kill them. And that would just be my only, you know, piece of information I would really want anyone to hear, um, you know, if they're, if they want to go down this rabbit hole, it's just, they're, the big ones are a limited resource. You know, we, we've aged fish, you know, talking to the biologists, you know, 20 pounder, seven, eight, nine year old fish. You know, if you tie into a 40, that's probably, you know, 20, 25 year old fish. And Jesus. You know, just, just be conscientious of, be conscientious of them because they are a limited resource. They don't reproduce. And, you know, our hands are, you know, our fisheries are in the hands of our, you know, DNR and, if if they cut the plug on it and don't stock, you know, you're going to wish you had those fish, you know, that you may have caught when it was 76, 77, you know, a couple of years down the road. Yeah. So just just be conscientious of them and, and respect the, respect the fish in terms of temperature. Other than that, have at it. Yeah. That's um closing it down. That's the one thing that people always talk about is how striper like super sensitive, like, uh, you know, you see guys like, oh my gosh, you you had bogas on that fish, like that fish died X Y Z, and that's kind of crazy to think that those like you know striper and those and those big musky and stuff that you know their life is as fragile as it is. Where if you catch them in that super hot water and you you know dick around for twenty five seconds too long, you know there's a good fish there there's a good chance that fish is gonna keel over, not swim away, fucking float back up to the top. And then even, you know, just hooking that fish and, and literally fighting it to death because it is so old. That is such a crazy thing to think about. It is. And it is. They're fragile, but they're not. They're, right. Yeah. That's what you said. Fragile, but not. Yeah, man. But yeah, where uh, where can everybody follow you if, if they're uh, not following you already on Instagram? Do you have a YouTube by chance or anything? Uh, I do not. I do not have the YouTube. Um, and I'm not nearly as active on, on social media as I used to be. But, um, you know, Alex Green Fishing, um, I, I definitely am like on it a lot. I just don't post a ton of stuff just in the interest of pressure on some of the fisheries. But, you know, by all means, if you have questions or, you know, want to talk, I, I post some stuff. But I, I keep an eye on it and we'll get your messages. Um, but as far as like other people to, uh, I'd like to, you know, give a shout out to yeah, is definitely yeah. Tyler um, at Stripe Life 615. Um, I, I do not guide, but if you would like to take the opportunity to get on a fish of these caliber on a swim bait with, you know, a extremely talented angler, it will get you your shot, you know. Definitely won't guarantee you're going to get one in the boat, but he will get you your shot. That would be Tyler Parsons at Stripe Life 615. Give him a shout. Um, and then definitely um, Andrew over there at Thala Work Rod Works. Vic, for sure, uh, Fish Everything. And uh, my guys over at Fish North Georgia, at Fish North Georgia, um, they can definitely get you hooked up with some of the right tackling gear. You know, if you're down here around this area, um, you know, small tackle shop around here that's well stocked with good guys. So always want to shout them out. And then um, definitely my fishing partner, Johnny Mills at John Mills on, on Instagram. 
those those are my boys. Hell yeah, dude. Um, no no company shout outs or anything like that. I don't know if you had any you know sponsors or, or whatever or sh- talents no. or anything. I don't. Just I I pretty much fish Vic's baits for ninety percent of the time. Uh, thankfully, I'm in the position you know with my career and what I have going on that you know that's not necessarily like a priority for me. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of like getting sponsors and things like that and you know i wouldn't really want that pressure on me anyways but i would give a big shout out to to dobbins rods i mean shimano is not going to hear it but dobbins is a small company um i think it's bryce that answers the phone every time i call over there and they have literally overnighted me rods that have been broken on like destination trips and saved the day so huge shout out to to dobbins just for their service and what they do to take care of their customers. Hell yeah, dude. That's so awesome. We'll, uh, we'll have to get you back on to talk about musking, smallmouth and stuff like that. We didn't even, you know, we scratched the surface of what you do. So we'll have to, we'll have to, you know, link up again and, and talk about those, those, uh, those very cool fish as well. You know, musky especially, but smallmouth hold a special place in my heart as well. I need to get you down here to catch a shoal bass, man. Dude, I need to I need to catch a striper, a spot. I need there's all sorts of shit I need to catch. <laughs> Snakehead. Come on down, man. We'll get you taken care of. Look forward to the next conversation. Hell yeah, man. Um, as always, I'll put all Alex's stuff in the show notes. You guys can go follow him if you don't already. Check out his stuff. Check out some of the fish. I'm sure you know, you scroll, you'll see some of the fish that we were talking about or, or some of the videos of him beached and stuff like that. So that'll be a good time. Um, while you're following him, if you guys don't already follow the podcast, scales and tails underscore podcast, uh, make sure you guys uh, rate the show on your listening platform. That always helps out and means a lot. And uh, while you guys are listening to this, uh, I think the August sticker, or July sticker might be out. So uh, check out, check out the website, snag a sticker, enter into the giveaway as well as uh, maybe check out the Patreon if you do the Patreon, you automatically get the sticker every month. On top of uh, on top of seeing some leaks of the of the magazine articles and, and getting early access to those, so five ten dollars a month gets you in on the Patreon as well. Um, other than that, I think that's everything. Um, I want to thank Alex for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed. There's been a lot of guys who want to hear hear about Striper and, and what that's all about. And I think Alex was was a good guy to talk to and kind of give his two cents about it and hear hear some stories about him and and what he's been able to do with swim baits and glide baits, especially for these absolutely amazing fish that I'm super jealous we don't have. I uh, I talked about it and joked about it before that I'm like, oh, maybe maybe I'll just introduce him to the Great Lakes. But I realized how catastrophic that would probably be for every single other fish in the uh, in the Great Lakes region. So maybe we'll hold off on that until, until I get some scientific uh, research done on that. But like I said, I want to thank Alex for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys.